Hello, my name is Peter, and this is Social Distance. Uh, episode 200. Right, good news. Right the way at the beginning now, yes. The R value is between 0.8 and 1. So that's across England. It differs a little bit. It is a, a between 0.9 and 1.1 in London, and between 0.9 and 1.1 in the South East. Um, and it's uh, up there in Northern Ireland as well. But everywhere else in England, it's looking very good. Southwest, 0.7 to 1. So that's really, really good. Isn't that good? Yes. And uh, Scotland is under um, thingamajig as well, 0.8 to 1 as well. So if it's below 1, then we are going in the right direction. There's rumours that London might have to get their shit together or they're going into tier three um but we do expect it's been really good the independent sage thing today was uh great i mean fucking never great and it's great because uh you know we are stomping down on this motherfucker and it is going in one direction at the moment but there's lots to talk about episode 200 right here's a little running order first of all we're going to go straight over to noel and then we're going to have the COVIDs, which is our uh, COVID awards. You know, it's the COVIDs. And we've got a couple of songs as well, obviously. So welcome to the show. Thanksgiving 2020, the first in the emerging post-Trump era. We were picking up litter in the park on our adopted trail when we heard the car horns, the shouting and the banging on pots and pans in the near distance. Was it a parade? No, the election was finally called for Biden. Our phones lit up with texts from friends and family. We danced a bit on the trail with a sense of immediate relief, overhearing a man on his cell phone beaming. You heard the news. A decent man is headed back to the White House. The mood lifted for the rest of the day and we shared friendly masked smiles with passers-by on the street. The jubilant cityscape felt vibrant in a way that it hasn't since the 7 p.m. claps for the healthcare workers in the spring. Manhattan and Brooklyn were even more celebratory, confirmed by images we saw floating along our electronic streams. I remained cautiously aware that Trump would not lose easily because he had been telling us that for weeks. Trump has contradictorily occupied our imaginations as an all-powerful yet incompetent figure over the last four years, and who knew what damage he could still wreck. Yet, what a moment to exhale. That relief was short-lived. The very next morning, over a leisurely breakfast of crepes, I received a call that our longtime family friend Eileen had died. We shared a meal nearly once a month over the past few years, usually on or close to a random holiday. We had not done so since the pandemic started because Eileen was high risk. She caught COVID in the emergency room of an overcrowded Brooklyn hospital while having to wait several days to be admitted for other health complications. She spent her last days in isolation, suffering mentally as well as physically. I talked to her on election night, overhearing the occasional distant muffled voices of nurses in full protective gear. She sounded better, but she had lost track that the election had occurred, which was odd for her. She hated Trump with vividly floral language, 
and proudly voted against him by mail weeks earlier. I will never know if she knew the elections called for Biden or if at that point she even cared. It was hard to say that she died from COVID. She did not have the typical symptoms I've read about, but her cause of death was a possible COVID outcome. Maybe I didn't want to admit that COVID could hit our circles so directly, but I also knew her health complications were serious, even without the added stress of the virus. This haziness had been elevated as a talking point on the right, claiming the virus is less dangerous than we think if somehow we don't count those with health complications. What a cold and terrible sentiment to turn into a political prop. And yet, I blame Trump's leadership for Eileen's death in part. She died a COVID death, regardless of what ultimately killed her. This lack of clarity mirrored the overall political climate in the US. This country is a place of deeply rooted contradictions and Trump literally and figuratively ripped the mask off, politically taking advantage of the rupture, a sort of choose your own adventure of truth. Joseph Biden is headed back into the White House while Trump continues to say he won. The entire world is relieved, yet more than 70 million Americans in this world voted for Trump even in the face of this outrageous pandemic failure. The United States of America, where the potential of Civil War 2.0 is discussed openly. The land of the free, with the highest prison population on the planet. Home of the brave, with that profoundly fearful citizenry perpetually manipulated by that fear. Thanksgiving, a genuinely great holiday that masks the darker and bloodier beginnings of this country. This benevolent empire, a shining city on the hill, claiming to lead the world by example in all that is decent with 4% of the global population and 25% of the total coronavirus infections. voting for Biden, and if not for the pandemic, I probably wouldn't have. New York is not a swing state, so I could afford to protest, but I wanted to run up the popular vote as it seemed clear that Trump would inevitably cry foul. Another great political catastrophe in my lifetime was the Iraq war. I vowed I would never vote directly for any politician that supported it. I broke my idealism this year. A friend refused because he has loved ones living on the other end of Biden bombs. He could not afford to not protest. But as the virus has predictably begun another steep climb here in the US, I could not stomach Trump's stumbling response any longer. Biden's pandemic response speeches are bringing me a palpable relief. Straightforward and rational federal response to the virus is on the horizon and it cannot get here soon enough. We are well over 1,000 deaths a day since the election and are continuing to climb. I imagine the collective magnitude of COVID grief this year, the tsunami of loss and the pain unfolding in our communities day after day and it is stupefying. Bring those numbers down and there is still so much to heal. Joe Biden is the right man for this moment in history, yet I hope I am surprised. 
He brings an emotive quality that is sorely missed on the national level. Although words alone won't heal this country, we need quick, brave, and decisive policy. I fear a deadlocked government where nothing is done and the dangers of that inaction. Our eyes are on the approaching Senate runoff election. President Joe Biden is a similar symptom of a culture that produces a new 70-year-old Rambo or Terminator, a stasis subjecting us to countless reboots of franchises from our youth. Through historical accidents, the U.S. elite boomers found themselves growing up into incredible social, cultural, and economic power, unlike any the world had ever seen. Either they don't know how or are reluctant to let it go, even as the world changes beneath them. There is also an extended adolescence in our younger generations. It's as if the revolutionary Reagan shift in American politics froze America in the grip of an ideology that we still are trying to overcome. Trump was perhaps the collapse of that era, and Biden might well be the epilogue. Hopefully, not the intermission. I was in sleepy low energy Manhattan yesterday to finalize a front tooth implant. The city was sluggish and the weather was gray. I strolled through Grand Central Station, typically horrendously busy on this day before Thanksgiving. It was sparsely populated, a condition that felt both good and bad at the same time. Manhattan's energy feels like a downtown in a moderately sized Midwest city. Fancy restaurants have spent significant amounts of money to build outdoor seating and ramshackle structures on the streets lining the empty buildings. I actually got lost on streets I knew well. It's strange. A scientist recently estimated that the entire world's coronavirus particles would not even fill up a single shot glass. What sorcery is this, able to so quickly and thoroughly change the face of one of the greatest cities on the planet? We take our faces for granted. They feel surface level until something goes wrong and we realize how entwined our appearance is with identity. I wondered about the tooth as a metaphor for Trump. He broke something foundational in this country and the 78-year-old with a perfect smile is giving the illusion of fixing it. Biden and I will never eat corn on the cob or bite into an apple again. We go timidly forward with this newfound sense of the fragility of our shared illusions. Perhaps the more timely metaphor is the mask, the reality that covers up the reality. Trump ripped the mask off many myths of America and we look to Biden to put it back on as we hurtle towards record numbers in all virus categories. Let's keep aware of what we are masking. My tooth may look real, but it's not. Biden may seem like a return to normal, but let's not forget his role in setting the conditions that led to a Trump, a mistake we don't want to repeat. I can't imagine Trump attending the inauguration and then flying off in the helicopter into the sunset. But maybe he will. I read he may instead hold a competing rally to announce his bid for 2024. Is that much different from what happens normally? The media usually declare the race for the next cycle begins now, the minute the swearing ceremony is over. 
and Hillary Clinton still claims that she actually beat Trump in 2016. It feels good to have voted against Trump and it feels bad to have voted for Biden. We may have beaten back this bubbling up of authoritarianism, but I anticipate the right-wing paranoia about a Biden authoritarianism will arrive soon. There will likely be some worrying continuity between a Trump and a Biden administration, and some will pull the masks up over their eyes to avoid seeing it. Billionaires will continue to hyper-accumulate because, as Chris Hedges says, there is no way in the American political system to vote against the interests of Goldman Sachs, Exxon, or Shell. The public seems to know this. The late George Carlin was trending on Twitter for his comments on how all politicians are puppets. Many of us thought Trump would never leave office, and this is not normal was the constant refrain early on in the Trump term. Yet, as we move toward a Biden administration, we are on the cusp of answering what is perhaps our greatest fear, and one that will make us ask what are we to think of these past four years of worry. What if Trump was simply a regular, if somewhat clumsy, brash, and inept U.S. president? Thank you very much, Noel, for your excellent contribution, as ever. And he probably speaks for quite a lot of people who voted for Biden slightly reluctantly, and it was more a, you know, anti-Trump vote than a pro-Biden vote. But thank fuck he did, you know? And I can totally understand. I myself had that uh, vow, and I think a lot of us had that vow of never voting for a politician who voted for the Iraq war. And I haven't, you know, which is good. But um, you know what, though? You know what? Biden has passed 81.1 million votes. And Trump would be in causing a hell of a lot more stink if it was closer. So thank you, Noel. I know you had to bite your tongue a little bit to vote for Biden. And I totally understand why, you know. But thank you for doing it. And thank you for the, you know, fucking 81 million plus that did it as well with you. Now, uh, I have got my, you know, uh, diver's helmet on. I've got my uh, bandana in place. It's like a fucking massive bandana. And I've got all my, basically what I'm saying is I'm wearing my costume because this is the first and probably only time. Uh, (laughs) I'm not going to promise an annual thing. Because annually, if we're going for one, um, you know, like a one one show a week, this time next year, it'd be like two, five, 252 or something. I can't do the fucking maths, can I? No. But anyway, uh, the point is, here's the COVID. So welcome to the COVID Awards. Uh, The first category of the awards is the worst... Captain Tom Moore rip-off charity act. And we have got quite a lot of nominations in this category. 
First of all, there's the six-year-old boy who raised money for charity by dressing up as Tom Moore. Uh, secondly, we've got an old lady walking around in her fucking house. Third of all, we have got a 104-year-old woman who didn't raise half as much or not even a tiny little fraction of the money that Tom, Captain Tom, raised. What was that, 30 million, was it? Yeah, 30 million he raised for the NHS. And she raised a fucking pittance of that. But she got quite a lot of media attention because her line was, I'm older than him and I walked further. And for that fucking chutzpah, she wins the first ever COVID. <laughs> so congratulations, m'lady. And um, the, you know there's going to be a film made of this fucking idiot? No, no, listen, listen. Although there are uh, unverifiable, and they're never going to, you know, go into it. You know, you, you're not going to research uh, but there are, there are unverifiable rumours that he... Well, how do we put this without getting into lots of legal trouble? Le okay, he was very nice to the, uh, the people that he came across in uh, during the war. Yeah? He was very nice to the people he came across during the war, Captain Tom. So that's good. It's nice. Nice man. And he raised a fuckload of money for charity. And we're going to have to undergo the movie experience. And I hope that they use the uh, technology that they got from the Irishman, you know, that thing that where you de-age them, but then you also age them up. Yeah. So you can get who's going to be Tom Moore. It's probably fucking Tom Hildleston will be Tom Moore. And he'll be doing like, you know, being very nice to the people in Burma. Was he in Burma during the war? I think it was Burma. And then he fucking went to Mount Everest when he was 90. And then he walked around his garden. <laughs> and also he's got a gin out this Christmas. And he's got his fucking book out, hasn't he? How much of the book did he write? I think he wrote every single word of it. Or maybe he did a Cartland. And just Barbara Cartland love. And just, um, you know dictated it to his his shepherdess daughter uh, so Tom Moore the winner of the COVID dedicated to Mr Moore is the 104 year old lady so congratulations Ruth you win I don't uh, care if you don't like it that I'm calling you Ruth Ruth Saunders I'm not going to call you Mrs Saunders no I'm not and isn't it funny when the Queen met Tom Moore that she was meeting somebody older than her. That obviously doesn't happen a lot, does it? Because she's very elderly. So the next one, worst COVID advice. Well, we've got a few candidates. Number one, drive to Barnard Castle. Okay, let's just say that he was going for an eye test, okay? Let's just believe that lie for a moment. Why the fuck would you put your child in the car when you're driving to test your eyes. That is not good advice during a lockdown when you know that you've got COVID-19. I mean, it is not fucking good thing to do, okay? 
So that's a category. Uh, that's a that's a that's a category. That's a uh, nomination. What they fucking call it? A contender. That's a contender. Number two, Donald Trump saying, "Inject bleach." <laughs> and number three, the way that when they found out that this is the sausage, when he found out that that fucking idiot was driving to Barnard Castle. And uh, like no, Sage had nothing to do with it. He decided to do, do um, stay alert instead of stay at home because they realised that it's only a matter of time. The Guardian were, and the Mirror were already sniffing around, you know? They realised, well, it's only a matter of time when they put two and two together and get four. And uh, so they changed the, the like everything. They changed the direction of the virus, basically, because at that point it was almost like a kind of public admission that um, they, they'd lost, lost the plot. And it was just a matter of time before we found out about um, fucking Cummings. And we did find out very quickly after that about Cummings. And at that point, you know, that was talk about the seven seconds that broke the back of the American century, as old Don DeLillo speaks about. Uh, JFK. I still haven't found out about Illinois, 1960 election. I didn't do that, no. But um, talk about that. Talk. That's like the seven fucking seconds of what last, what takes seven seconds? Him getting out the car? Him getting out the car in Barnard Castle is the seven seconds that broke the back of us trusting the government in relation to COVID-19. And, you know, so that that is a nominee as well. But the winner is, unfortunately, I have to say this, I've got to give it to Trump because injecting bleach is so fucking dumb. And probably it had an effect on that young man that we spoke about in our uh, much maligned and ridiculed series, The Symptoms. Where, do you remember that? The only symptom this guy had was hallucination hallucination and what he hallucinated was this was this voice this kind of demon voice telling him to uh drink bleach isn't that unbelievable and uh, and jump off a bridge as well yeah so congratulations trump you have got covid it's <laughs> not the thing though you did have that didn't you but miraculously you're bloody recovered you fucking freak but you do have a COVID award. So congratulations. You've got the second ever COVID award. Now this here, next category, this is a, Jesus, we could be here all fucking night. Most successful grift. Well, where do we begin? I mean, you could literally go down, you know, every single one of the cabinet, they're on a fucking grift in the UK. You could certainly expand to the US. You could look at, you know, I mean, where do we begin, right? You could look at the PPE. You could look at the testing. You could look at fucking Test and Trace with Dido Harding. You know, they are all on the fucking griff, these guys. COVID is a great opportunity for lots of corrupt people to make lots and lots of money. Uh, but thanks to that fantastic work by the PhD student, whose name I've forgotten, my little crony, go to the link a couple of, when was it, like three weeks ago or something? It's on one of the episode things. Um, she 
and also other, you know, not just her, but she's building on uh, reports and investigations by uh, The Guardian and Open Democracy and uh, a couple of other, um, you know, uh, media organizations. There's this group called the Plymouth Brethren. Brethren. It's very difficult for me to say that. <laughs> they're, man, they're called the Plymouth Brethren. The, the brothers, you know, the Plymouth fucking Brethren. And they're uh, a Christian organization. They're very opaque and obscure. They have made a lot of money out of um, their connections to government in terms of like supplying services to government as bizarre as it seems and so basically they've got their fingers in quite a lot of pies it's quite difficult to find out what the connection is between them and the Tory government but I would say just because of the the, the uh, potential for like a really good story when we're all dead in 30 years time you know There'll be like a really good, whoever Scorsese is in like 50 years from now, they'll make a really good film of the connections between the Brethren and the Tory government. And people will think, oh my God, like in the same way that I want to find out about, you know, uh, JFK in Illinois in the 1960s. And there's not really, you know, it hasn't really been kind of told that story. But there's also a kind of unknown, there's this known thing about it. Do you know what I mean? But we need a fucking Hollywood blockbuster, basically. That's how I get my history, like everyone else. Yeah, I don't, what do you think, I read books? You think I read books? Fuck you. <laughs> oh, talking about books, though, you know what I'm waiting for? Like, literally waiting for? I'm waiting for The Crying of Lot 49. So, um, you know, that guy. So I'm really looking forward to reading The Crying of Lot 49. It's like a little Christmas present to myself. Anyway, that's going off Thomas Pynchon. That's going off to the side. And I need to focus on the Plymouth Brethren because this is what the Brethren does, you know? The Plymouth Brethren, when you start talking about them, not only do they have a name that you can't say. I mean, this is perfect. Talk about hiding in plain sight. They've got a name that you can't fucking pronounce. I mean, how on earth are you supposed to investigate these motherfuckers you can't even say their name but anyway congratulations Plymouth Brethren you have won the third COVID award now next this is a slightly controversial choice for an award uh, category the best thing about COVID-19 well okay there are actually a couple of good things that have come out of COVID-19 Okay, bear with me here. Number one, Peter Sutcliffe is dead. Hey! Number two, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> is he dead? Is he fucking dead yet? He's got COVID, for fuck's sake. Like, he's surely nobody's actually treating him. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not dead though, but he's got COVID. Hey! Next, Emissions went down a tiny bit when the whole world was in lockdown. No, but it's actually, when you look at it, it's within the normal historical variability of CO2 anyway. 
So that's fucking shit. Like, that is really bad. That even when the whole fucking world locks down for, like, four months, it basically doesn't fucking touch anything. And you know who else is on the fucking grift train, right? They don't... Not not as good as Plymouth Redland, Redland. But that fucking Grant Shapps, who is a proper con man, you know? He used to go under various names to... I don't know what he was doing. Selling fireplaces to the devil or some bullshit... And he now has done a deal with the airline companies where he said, oh, okay, what we'll do is we will let the people, the business uh, travellers, business class travellers, who pay top dollar to sit at the front, because it's fucking exciting, like they're fucking six years old, you know, sitting at the top in the bus at the front. That's exciting, isn't it? So they pay, you know, the proper big bucks to uh, sit at the front of the plane, like, woo and, um, yeah, fuck the economy, people. If you're in business class now, it's unbelievable. It's coming in this weekend. You don't need to fucking quarantine. You could just fly, like, anywhere on the planet without quarantining. I mean, not that it, you know, it probably has very little effect because nobody's fucking quarantining, you know. So, not nobody, but not enough people. Um, so, you know. Uh, to talk about one rule for us and another for the other. But even that, so that's not going to do much for our, um, you know, uh, emissions, is it? No, it's not. And the airline industry are going to be, you know, flying again very soon, probably the second quarter, as I like to say, of next year. And into the third quarter, we'll probably think, well, that, okay, that's fine. COVID is done now. Now, uh, so congratulations. The winner is. Peter Sutcliffe, you're fucking dead, but you have won a COVID. You probably don't want it because you did die of COVID already, but it's the best thing about COVID. Now, here we go. The last uh, award, in many ways, is the most, uh, like, the, the saddest award. You know, everything comes to an end. Every life comes to an end. And every award ceremony comes to an end. And... There's always, like, you know the sad bit in the Oscars when they say, like, oh, these are the people that died. It's very sad. And usually they do a dance or whatever at the same time as running the PowerPoint. Well, we've now got to the sad bit of the COVID awards because we need to, like, realise that Trump isn't dead. The worst thing about COVID is that Trump fucking survived it. I mean, how the fuck did he survive it? He seemed to have no (laughs) effect, no effects whatsoever. So I don't know what the fuck is going on with that guy. Who knows? Who knows? But, you know, all of our dreams and our wishes and the, like, the best October surprise disappeared right in front of us. I mean, thank fuck he lost the election. You know what I mean? Thank fuck. But, um, you know, 75,000 people have died in the UK of COVID-19. 75,000 people have died. Yesterday, over 3,000 people died in one day in the United States. That's more people that died in 9-11, died in one day yesterday. And yet Trump survives, and it's a kick in the fucking teeth, you know? So Trump, congratulations, 
you've won two COVIDs. It's a record. No one else has got a fucking Sutcliffe in his box. He's only got one. That old fucking woman, she's only got one. And the Plymouth Brethren have only got one as well. But Trump has got two. So congratulations, Trump. You are the overall winner of the COVID Awards. Jimmy quit, Jody got COVID. Between the raindrops, oh, between the raindrops. Thank you very much. I run to the shop. I bump into everyone because I'm a hypocrite. And I try not to pass on the virus. Say, have you heard? Have you heard the news? There is a podcast called Social Distancer. Share it. Like it. Tell your friends if you have any. Everything you want to hear about the great public health emergency in any of our lives. Four times a week now. And it is free. On a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And an omnibus on Sundays. As I say to my kids, don't bloody swear. But there is fucking swearing in it. And to finish we say. To be drug motherfucker. To be jog motherfucker, to be jog motherfucker, to be jog motherfucker. All the men come on, to be jog motherfucker, to be all the women come on, to be jog motherfucker, to be all the kids come on, don't bloody swear, to be jog motherfucker, to be jog motherfucker. Now sway your lighters, to be jog motherfucker, to be jog motherfucker. And now sway your iPhones, to be jog motherfucker. And your candles, very, very slowly, to be jog motherfucker, to be jog motherfucker. Get those adventurers with the flame-lit torches, sway them in the air, to be jog motherfucker, to be jog motherfucker. Thank you, W, for that interesting and beautiful, with no doubt about it, beautiful uh, rendition of the song, which I suppose, uh, you know, from now on, we have to refer to it as the old song. And in a moment, we're going to hear for the very last time the kind of fun, upbeat 
version of it. Do you know what I mean? If you're a regular listener, you know exactly what I mean. So that's coming up later in the show. And thank you to that dude that sent that in as well. Thank you very much. Now, first time I talked about walking between the raindrops, June 29th, um, so long time ago, episode 106. And I really like the idea. It's evolved a tiny little bit. I don't go on about the connectedness, but I really do like the idea. And I think we do do that as an audience together. You know, um, we do the one, two, three, walk between the raindrops all together. And it is at the same time, even though my researcher says it isn't, it fucking is. Even though if you know anything about time and space, all of that suggests that it isn't that we do it at the same time. But of course we do do it at the same time, even though well, the, okay, so the evidence is against us, but we know that we do do it at the same time. We do do it at the same time. And we have thought about the, you know, bison and the wonderfish and the, uh, the scrabo. Have, you, have I mentioned the scrabo before? It's like that hairy hand. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Beautiful. And we've talked about the lichen and the trees and the birds and all of that. And the idea is that in this you know, incredibly busy, stressful situation that we're all in, there is at least a moment, a brief moment, of every day, or four times a week, or once a week, <laughs> or whenever you can bother to listen, a little brief moment of peace and calm. So we're going to now just have a few seconds of enjoying this beautiful piece of music that I'm still talking over, yeah, and I'm still talking over it now, but soon though, in a few moments, I'll shut the fuck up and you can enjoy, yeah, I mean, it really will be, not one at all, no, I haven't, yeah, so in a moment, now you can enjoy a few moments of the music, Thank you very much. I run to the shop, bump into everyone. Say, have you heard? Have you heard the news? There is a podcast called Social Distancer. Share it, like it, astound your friends. Everything you want to hear about. The greatest public health emergency in any of our lives. Four times a week, and it is free. 
Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and an omnibus on Sundays. Fucking great So there's episode 200. Thank you ever so much to everyone who's contributed over this extraordinary time since March. Um, We're near Christmas. We nearly got the vaccine in our arms. Just going to hold on for a couple of moments longer. But thank you to your uh, attention to detail, especially with the cake piping. Uh, Beautiful piping work. Thank you. And um, yeah. Incredible. What a journey. It looks like, you know, we might be getting away with it, like some of us, which is really good. We should get in the fucking toy cabinet. Um, Thank you so much for your care and for your good vibes. And mainly, thanks for listening. Uh, Next episode is uh, next Friday, episode 201 on Friday, the whatever it is, 11th, is it? Uh, yeah, I think it is here. Yeah, that's exciting, isn't it? Yes. So, this has been a brilliant blast of a time. And <laughs> you take care of yourselves. Last thing to do, let's think of the bat, the vampire bat. One, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Take care.